And so, again, I don't want to take too much of Cody's time, but uh, Cody and Millie are here from Argentina, and uh, they are uh, they have been serving faithfully now for two, was it two years or three years? Two, four years. Wow, this goes so, so fast. It's crazy. You went all the way through COVID. So, um, Cody, as you guys, many of you know Cody, he used to translate for Manuel Estebani, and uh, we had such an incredible time when you did that, brother. Um, and uh, it's just, it was so good. You were fluid. I mean, one of the, he's really one of the best translators I've ever seen, so it was really good. And uh, him and Manuel were connected in a, in a really unique way. And so Cody and Millie have been serving in, um, in a small town. I'll let him share with you all the details uh, uh, in, in, uh, in, a, in a tourist area in, in uh, Argentina. And uh, they've been doing a great work, enduring through all the difficulties like the rest of the world through COVID and then continuing to, to go forward in faith. So with that, uh, Cody, come on up, brother. And, uh, and I know you're going to share and teach and preach and do all that. So give him a good HBF welcome. Interesting to be with you guys this evening. It really is a pleasure to be back. Um, we always enjoy being here uh, with you guys, so thank you for letting me have the opportunity to be back with you guys. Uh, it was a lot of fun translating for Pastor Esteban. He uh, had a lot of fire in him, and, uh, you know, we, the Lord really lost it. Well, he didn't lose it because he's with the Lord, but, uh, you know, we lost a, a great soldier for the Lord when he went on to be with the Lord. So, <clears throat> you know, that was, that was a lot of fun being able to translate for him, but... Um, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to be back with you guys. Um, it's been, uh, like we just said, four years since the last time we were here. And um, so uh, just kind of give you guys a little bit of update, those who don't know who we are. Uh, like I said, I'm Cody. My wife, Millie, is with the kids right now, kind of explaining to them where Argentina is, see if they can figure out where that's at on the map. But uh, so she's with the kids. And then our two kids didn't come this evening because uh, we're also in the middle of vacation Bible school slash uh, children's camp this week. So uh, a long time ago, our sending church, Lee Summit Baptist Temple, decided instead of doing a vacation Bible school on uh, you know, one part of the summer and then trying to do a summer camp also for kids, that they were just going to combine that into one. And so we have the kids from 7.30 in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon, and we do a full vacation Bible school plus all kinds of activities that will be more like a typical camp activities with kids. So they get home, and they go straight to bed, and they're, they're exhausted, and they're crashing. So all those same songs, we're using the same curriculum you guys did, so... It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, going through this year the, the sanctity of life. So I think, you know, what, I don't know if somebody was, had planned that from before or, or how that all worked out, but with everything that's going on with uh, the, the Dodson decision, you know, is a, a great um, segue into teaching the kids about the sanctity of life. So I just wanted to take some time and give you guys an update uh, on where we're at, um, what's going on. For those of you who don't know where Argentina is, if you were to get in a plane and fly all the way down to Antarctica and then turn around and come back 600 miles, the first country that you would hit will be Argentina. Now, thankfully, we don't live that far south because you go that far south and you get glaciers and penguins, and it's like being out on the Alaskan tundra. So uh, we're, not, we're not that far south at all. But Argentina is this long, stretched-out country. It almost looks like a jalapeno pepper, uh, even though we don't eat spicy foods. But um, we're right in the heart of Argentina, kind of like you guys are in the heartland. We're, we're also kind of in the heart of Argentina um, in kind of the Central Plains area. So... Um, where we get right now, it's uh, wintertime. Their seasons are backwards because they're south of the equator. So right now they're in the mid-30s. It was probably mid-40s today uh, for the high, but the lows will be in the mid-30s. Um, it won't snow where we're at, but it will get pretty cold at night, you know, enough to, um, enough to frost the next morning. But, you know, no snow or anything like that. So kind of, uh, if you think maybe uh, West Texas kind of a weather, that, that kind of in general is the weather of, of where we're at. And so... 
Um, you guys were a big part of sending us out four years ago when we finished deputation and we told you guys that we were ready to go. And uh, as far as the language, um, both of us, my wife and I are both bilingual, so we could go get in, on the mission field and get started and hit the ground running. And uh, my wife is from Argentina. She was born and raised there, so we didn't need any kind of paperwork to get in the country. They had to let her back in. They couldn't kick her out. So we, we kind of flew under the radar as well, just kind of using that uh, relationship. And so um, God opened up the doors for us to be able to go, and we saw a lot of value and a lot of um, just a lot of strategies strategically, you know, looking at the gospel effectively, where could we go as a family? Well, this is an awesome place, not only because we know the language and the culture, but, you know, because of there's so many missionaries that are struggling with their paperwork right now, several um, who had to come off the mission field just because they can't get visas renewed and struggling. So we didn't have those problems, and uh, the Lord sent us kind of cheating. You know, we thought, missionary can't really go home, Pastor. You know, that's, that's kind of cheating as, as missions. A missionary is supposed to go to the jungle, and he's supposed to eat bugs and monkeys and He's supposed to have a really hard time learning the language, and it's supposed to be this really difficult thing. And, you know, Argentina has really good steak, and we have good pasta, and we eat really well. And it's like, this is not what missions is supposed to be. But that's really not what missions is. You know, missions is taking the light of the gospel and taking or going and planting a church somewhere that you're not at right now. So the same mission that you guys do around, you know, Cass County, around uh, Harrisonville, in this area, to plant a church and see a beacon for the gospel here... We're doing the same thing just over there. And um, so when we got there, we told you guys that we were going to target Cordoba. And Cordoba is the second largest city in Argentina. Argentina's population makeup uh, is a little bit different from uh, most South American countries because um, just because of a lot of things that happened after World War II, but we don't have time to go into all the history of all that, what happened. But a lot of immigrants fled World War II and went to Argentina, so they have a really European style, population, and their mindset, the way they look. You know, it doesn't really look like a typical Latin American um, uh, country whenever you go. So there's a lot of European influence. And a lot of those people came and settled in the, um, in the, the coastal city of Buenos Aires. It's the capital city. There's 14 million people that live in this one city. So it's just huge. It's almost half the population of the whole country. There's only 44 million people that live in Argentina. So if you imagine a city of, I think they just did the last census, so I think it's somewhere closer to 15 million people that live just in Buenos Aires and the whole metropolitan area that is it's this massive city. And um, so a lot of the population just went there, stayed there, and you know, just the borders of the city just keep growing. And then you have a jump from 14 million people to the second largest city would be Cordoba, which is a city of 2 million people. And so then from there, it just keeps getting smaller and smaller in these pockets of rural areas throughout Argentina that are completely different. It would be like if almost half of the U.S. were like New York and the rest of it was like Harrisonville. You know, just this totally different mindset and totally different, uh, almost culturally a different place to, to be at. So we wanted to target an area where not all of the missionaries were going. Obviously, you know, we want to reach the most population as possible, so there's a lot of missionaries that go to Buenos Aires. There's plenty of room to work. It's not that there's, you know, missionaries standing on top of each other, but we wanted to go somewhere where maybe we wouldn't be stepping on someone else's heels, where God was moving, uh, where there wasn't anyone working. And so we decided, you know, we don't really know a whole lot of missionaries that are in Cordoba, so that's where we started praying for, and that's where we targeted, that's where we landed, uh, that's where we, when we moved our container down there, which I did have a video tonight, but the uh, flash drive got lost in the shipping somewhere, I don't know where it ended up, but, um, so you guys won't be able to see those pictures, but, um, 
we did ship a container down there, a half container down with all of our, our move, and you guys were a big part of that whenever we, we moved our container down there. And um, so we moved all that, and we landed in Cordoba. And we were in kind of the central southern part of the city, and we started um, doing some door-to-door evangelism, just trying to t- start meet people, starting to get traction. And about um, a month being down there, I learned of another missionary that was working on the other side of the city, on the northwestern side of the city, which if you guys are looking at the map, it would be over there for you guys. But, um, and so I called him up and I said, you know, if I'd just like to pick your brain about what you've seen in the city and maybe some areas to target and if we could just get together and have some coffee. And so I met uh, missionary David Owens when we basically first got down there and he had only been there about six months before us. And uh, I'm telling you guys the long story. I usually don't get the opportunity to share all of this with churches because, you know, you get 10 minutes, you get 15 minutes, but we've got plenty of time tonight. So um, you guys kind of get the long version of everything that, that happened. And so we met missionary David Owens, and I said, um, uh, well, he was about to really start services. He had already been down there um, about three or four months before us, and he had found a place to rent, and he had several people interested, and he was going to start services. And I asked him, you know, is there anything that we can help you do? Because, you know, we just got here. We're, we're trying to figure out what area of the city to target. We're doing evangelism in pockets all over the place just to see what doors God opens up. But is there anything that you know, we can help you do as you guys are getting your services started so they can kind of learn and glean from your experience. And so well, the only thing I don't have is musicians to get started. You know, I was just going to play some songs and maybe do that, but is, do you guys know any music or anything like that? And I said, the only thing I can do is play some chords on guitar. If that helps you out, it's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And so we started helping them out with their services, just, you know, me playing guitar and he was leading everything else. And we started kind of gleaning a lot of things from their mission, from the, the mission that they had, had started whenever they got their services started. And so as we were doing that and as we were going out and looking for the area that God would lead us to, we started feeling a burden for an area of the city called Villa Allende. And so Villa Allende, you know, when you look at all of the, the growth of the city and we're doing all this strategic looking at the city was growing in population towards the northwest corner, towards the mountains, and, um, you know, that was where we thought that maybe, you know, if that part of the city is growing, maybe God can start doing something there. And we started targeting Vijay Jende, and we were doing some activities, and we were doing some outreach, and we started, you know, one person came to know the Lord, another person wanted to start a Bible study with us. And then as we were doing that, uh, the person that got saved had to move away, and the person that was doing the Bible study just didn't really have time anymore, and they weren't really interested. And we thought, well, we need a house that's closer to where we're at, because it was about an hour and a half bus ride on public transportation to get from where we were living to get to this other side of the city to be able to go and minister. And it just became this really long ordeal every Sunday, and we didn't have a vehicle when we first got started. And so it was really kind of counterproductive to be doing all this traveling when we knew that we wanted to target that area of the city. And so uh, as we started looking for housing, um, we discovered that, you know, renting anything in Argentina becomes extremely difficult because you need three or four co-signers, and you have to have pro- property as collateral, even when you just want to rent. And um, so they've been really, uh, really, I guess, burned by people who have rented properties and damaged them and things like that. And the only way that they could politically, you know, get past um, their, their investment is to have all of these redundancies in, in, as far as their economy. And so it was really difficult for us to find a place to rent. And then finally, somebody said, well, you know, I've got a house. If you guys like it, you can rent it. Um, but, you know, wait, well, I'll drop the paperwork, and you guys can come tomorrow and sign the paperwork. And so we were going to get in our car and headed there, and we get a phone call from that person. They tell us, well, my sister last night found somebody else, and they already signed the contract last night. 
wow, man, that's kind of frustrating. And that's not just one time that happened to us, Pastor. That happened to us three times where somebody was ready to sign a contract and then all of a sudden either they backed out or things didn't happen. And after about a year and a half of just not being able to get any traction, not uh, being able to move forward, we were you know, still involved in helping David and getting their ministry up and running, and the Lord was doing great things in their church, and they were getting started. But as far as us planning a church in the city, God just kept closing door after door after door. And it came to a point where we just started looking, and we were like, Lord, what is going on? You know, Why, why are we not able to do what we promised all these churches we were going to do. We were going to hit the ground running, and we were going to you know, build this church, and, and things were going to be a whole lot smoother than other missionaries. And, and we started getting frustrated that things weren't working out kind of the way we had planned for them to work out. And so I call up a pastor friend of mine. Uh, he was a Bible college professor whenever I went to Bible school in Argentina many years ago. And um, he had left being a Bible college professor and gone back to being a pastor of what was his home church for seven or eight years. And that church did great, and they grew and his church sent him out as a, um, not necessarily as a missionary, but they sent him to another church that was dying. And the goal was for him to be able to help rejuvenate that church and get that church up and running. And that church was in the town of Miramar. And Miramar is about 200 kilometers straight east of where we were at in the city of Cordoba, which would be a two-hour drive. We're talking 98 miles, 99 miles, almost to the dot from where we were living. And... Um, so I called him up because, you know, he's an Argentine pastor. He's from there. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? These are the things where it's happening to us. It's frustrating. You know, what, what is it me? Is it, is it you know, what, what can I do differently? And so why don't you guys come out to, to my town, to Miramar, just for a couple of days, take a step back, take a break, and maybe we can get some different perspective on what God's doing throughout this situation. And so we went. We were talking to him. We had a good time of fellowship. We prayed with him. And we were explaining to him that, you know, our desire was not necessarily to be working in the same spot as where another church or another missionary was. You know, we kind of wanted to uh, be breaking ground in a new area, so to speak. And um, so he said, well, why don't you guys drive south 10 kilometers, straight south, talking a six-minute drive from where we were, from his house. The next town down is the town of Balnearia. He said, I just want you to drive through Balnearia and count the number of churches that you find in the city of Alnearia. So, okay, we'll do that. And so we went down, just us, just me and my wife, and we started. It's a grid pattern. It's really easy to, to, to get to know, get, get through the city. It's a town of 10,000 people, so you're talking, you know, approximately like Harrisonville. And we just start driving through town from one end to the other, and then we did the crisscross the other way, and we counted one Catholic cathedral, one Catholic parish on the other side of the tracks, and one uh, Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. And that was it. And so we go back and we said, you know, is there any, like, home churches or anybody working with the people in the city doing anything? He said, no. There's not one Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, gospel-centered church in Balnearia. There is no one that's ministering to the people in the city. There's no one that's praying for the people of Balnearia that lives there that wants to minister to that town. And I just broke my heart, you know, to, to be in a, a quote-unquote Christian nation, you know, even though they, it's... You can't even become president in Argentina. It's in their constitution unless you profess to be a Catholic. So, you know, in general, mo mostly a Catholic nation. But, you know, I couldn't believe that there was not one person, one anything that was targeting that city for the gospel. And um, so he said, well, why don't you guys just pray about Balnearia and see if maybe that's the place where you're supposed to go. And we thought, yeah, but all the missionaries book tell you you got to go to the big cities, you know, because that's where God builds people up and then sends them out to all these other different places. And, 
So I called up my sending pastor, Pastor Fred Allen, here at Lee Summit Baptist Temple, and I told him about this opportunity, and I told him about what we were seeing, and he said, well, just see if the Lord opens up a door. So we're like, well, okay, let's see what, let's see what happens. We need to meet somebody in Balnearia. And so we met the, uh, a person that our pastor friend in Miramar had led to the Lord in Balnearia. And he took us and he introduced us to a man named Omar. And Omar grew up in Balnearia. It's his hometown. And he had gotten saved just two or three months prior to us meeting him. Um, just kind of in a chance thing. He has a, a shop where he fixes small, small motors like um, chainsaws and weed whackers and that kind of thing. And our pastor friend had taken something for repair, and they got into this spiritual conversation, and it led him to the Lord. And we started talking to Omar about the needs, just the spiritual needs that he was seeing in his town. And he just went through thing after thing after thing that just the, the needs of families in Balnearia, that no one was taking care of them spiritually. No one was concerned for their spiritual growth. They were not getting any scripture. They're not getting any biblical guidance at all whatsoever. And one of those young men just so happened to be his son. His son had gotten... Um, you know, wrapped up in drugs and alcohol, and he, at that time, was planning on sending his son to a rehab center that was about 45 minutes to an hour from, from the city there, and that'll be important later on. But, uh, so, you know, God just started working in our hearts on the needs that were there in Balneari, and I said, well, we got to have a place to live. So if we don't have a place to live, there's, you know, there's no way we can drive two hours every day to go minister to this, to this area. We already knew that it's hard to get a place to rent anywhere, and it's even harder in a small town because there's just nothing available. It's, so if the Lord opens up something here, you know, it really has to be from the Lord. And within two weeks, you know, I get a phone call from somebody, hey, we've got this house available. It's three bedrooms, and it has this giant uh, open air, um, almost like a warehouse in the back of it. I said, well, i got to see this. And so we, we drove over, we went to see it, and within just a few weeks, we had signed the contract on the house there that became available you know, just out of the blue. And so we packed up all our stuff again. We moved to Balnearia. We really felt that the Lord was opening up a door there. We were a little apprehensive at first because we weren't, you know, this wasn't like our move to, to Cordoba where, where we had more surety. We were, you know, just a little more apprehensive about this move because, you know, we, we really didn't know anybody in the town. We knew a couple people in Cordoba. We were kind of going into new territory, which is what we said we wanted to do, but now we're here and now we're, you know, we're confronted with this opportunity to grow our faith. And so we land in Balnearia in uh, February of 2020. And then we put our kids in public school because we had talked about, you know, them bettering their Spanish and being immersed in Spanish, an opportunity where mom and dad couldn't bail them out, you know, and couldn't translate for them. And so we put them in school, and three weeks later, the COVID lockdowns hit in March. And so now we're in a place where strategically, missiologically, we weren't supposed to be. Uh, we're in a, a small area of Argentina where, you know, you're not, you don't have the conveniences of the big town where you can just jump up and run to the Walmart that's down the road. You know, there's no McDonald's, there's no Walmart, you know, it's just small town, rural Argentina. And so the lockdowns hit, and then we can't do any of the things that you're supposed to do to build a church, to get those contacts. You know, you're supposed to be going out and doing evangelism, or you're supposed to have these activities where you invite people to come, and you're supposed to be making all these contacts so that, you know, you have opportunities to, to share the gospel with people. And now we're being told you can't leave your house. You can't drive to the next town unless you have specific written permission from the government. You can't, uh, you know, you had the, then the mask mandates started coming a, a few months after that where you can't even leave your house without a mask. They told us that, in the very beginning, they told us that only one person from your family that lived in your house could go to the store at a time, had to be within a certain time frame, and it had to be a store that was within, within three blocks of your house. So severe COVID lockdowns at the very beginning that really 
well, hampered the, the ministry that we wanted to do. And so we started praying, Lord, you've brought us here. We, we, we feel that this is a place where you want us to be, but now what do we do? How do we, how do we make this work? Because none of this is not written in any books, you know, about missions and what you're supposed to do when the situation comes when your country is totally locked down. So, you know, we started praying and we started realizing, well, hey, there's these people called essential workers. They have to come to our house. They have to bring us water and they bring us our propane tanks so we can cook our food and they bring us our groceries and these people have to come to our house. So we decided if the Lord's bringing them to us, well, we're going to target those people first. And so we started making those contacts. We started building up a friendship with them as, as much as we could and, you know, getting phone numbers from these people and being on the phone with them. And then they would uh, be curious about what this gringo was doing and why would he leave the golden streets of America to come to their little bitty town in Argentina and we still get that question to this day, what are you doing in Little Balnearia? Why are you here? And it's a perfect opportunity for us to tell us, well, let me, let me explain to you why we believe that the Lord has led us here. Because it's give, it gives us a great opportunity to tell them not only about one, us wanting to plant a church, but it gives us an opportunity for us to tell them about the greatest message ever told in the gospel. And so we started making these connections with essential workers and through a contact of a contact, and then they would say, hey, you guys working with the church? Well, maybe you need to talk to this guy because he might have a situation that he needs some counseling on and he needs some help in this, and contact after contact and person after person, and things just started moving, and about three or four months, yeah, there you go, there's a picture of it. Here's where we were at in Cordova, and if you would go over to the right, you would see where we are, 200 kilometers straight east and north of where the, the city is. But um, so if you can... If there's a big lake, if you see that big lake, go just a little bit more towards the north. Zoom out just a little bit. There it is. That big giant lake right there that you see on the map, that lake is, they call it the Little Ocean. It's the largest body, largest saltwater body um, in Argentina. And uh, the only population, the only city that is actually around this lake, believe it or not, is that little town of Miramar, 2,000 people, that's uh, right there at the bottom of the map, a little bit over to the right. Right there. Boom. That city of Miramar, that's the city in the, uh, that the pastor friend of ours uh, lives in. And so there's no other population around this lake. Just kind of interesting trivia fact. And it's a saltwater lake. There are huge saltwater deposits under the lake. And so during the summer months, uh, people come from all over Argentina and really all over Latin America to come to, to the saltwater lake. It has, you know, good healing properties. It's supposed to be good for your skin. You know, there's a lot of tourism. So normally 2,000 people live in Miramar. And then in the tourist season, there could be up to 20,000 people in Miramar. So it's just this insane amount of people just come flooding into Miramar. And the only road, if you go straight south on that little yellow road that's right there, the only road that leads to Miramar has to go through our town of Balnearia. That's us right there. And so that's where we're at. And um, so we started, like I said, making all these contacts with the, these essential workers and the people that God was bringing into our lap, and about three or four months into the COVID lockdowns, um, they told us that, okay, well, now we're going to allow you guys to get together with family, not, not just people that live in your house, but immediate family members, but you can only have up to 10 people in your house. Everyone has to wear a mask. You have to open up the windows, even if the winter months had already started by then, so it was getting cold, and, you know, you, you, if you're going to meet, it can only be for like an hour, and then everybody has to go home, and then everybody has to get tested. It was just this really big ordeal. Um, and so, you know, I looked at my wife and I said, well, hey, if families can get together, we're the family of God. You know, why can't we get the family of God together? And so we didn't really announce it. We kind of tried to fly under the radar a little bit. We decided, you know, if we get fined, we get fined. If, you know, if we get arrested, I guess we just get arrested. But we're going to start meeting with the people that have, we've generated interest with. 
And so um, we get a call one, one uh, evening from a lady that uh, had actually come to know the Lord in the other town in Miramar uh, whenever she was a little girl at that church that I told you that our pastor went to to kind of rejuvenate things and revive that church. And she had come to know the Lord when she was in her teens, and then through the things that happened in life, she had gotten away from the Lord. She had stopped going to church up there. It was a big ordeal. She didn't have a vehicle to go to church, and, you know, things happen in life. And she had always wanted an opportunity to go to church in her hometown, but that was never afforded to her as she was growing up. She always had to go somewhere else farther away to go to church. And so um, at this point, when we met her, she had two older kids. She has Michael and Letty. And both kids today are 18 and 16. And so when she first started coming, uh, you know, she was a little apprehensive because she wasn't really sure about, you know, this, this new Baptist church that was moving in and who we were. And then she started liking it. She started coming to the services. Her kids started liking it. And uh, she got plugged into discipleship. We have a very similar style discipleship. Um, as you guys do, we use um, a book lessons dis- uh, through discipleship that's really more of a mentorship program. And discipleship one for us is a 14-week lesson that's done one-on-one with the person as you walk them through those first steps of growing with the Lord and growing in their spiritual walk. And so we started doing discipleship one with Letty and with her two kids, uh, a boy and a girl. So um, as they started growing in the Lord, uh, as all usually happens, you know, uh, she gets a call from an old boyfriend who wants to rekindle things in their life. And so uh, after a few phone calls and after her saying, you know, I'm not really interested in that, she said, listen, I'm going to church now. And this is something that I want the Lord to continue to grow in my life, and I want to grow spiritually with the Lord. But if you want to have any kind of relationship with me any, anywhere down the road in the future, you need to start coming to church. Like, I don't know about coming to church. And so we met Brian. We went out and ate dinner with him one night and invited him to church, you know, started building that relationship with him. He comes to a service. He comes to two services. I started doing discipleship one with Brian. Long story short, a year later, Brian and Letty were the first people in our ministry ever that we married. Our first couple that got married in our church down there in Argentina. And today, Brian is the key person in our church in Argentina who has coordinated everything for us. Like right now, they're in their prayer service, and Brian is, is, is giving the lesson tonight, which he uh, just, before we came down for, for this trip in May, the last week of May, uh, he gave his first ever Bible lesson that he had prepared for our youth um, so just a lot of new growth. He's excited about what the Lord's doing. They've taken on a lot of responsibilities in these six weeks that we've been gone. And the Lord has really used uh, discipleship. He's really used um, just uh, the opportunities for, for ministry and those kind of things. You know, they're, they're excited about what the Lord's doing. A little bit apprehensive still because they're in those beginning stages of what God's doing. And they're not, you know, it's, it's hard for whenever we first get started to look 10 years down the road and see where all this adventure is going to take us. But they're excited to see the opportunities that the Lord has given them to serve while they're down there. So that's Brian and Letty. They're one of our key families that the Lord has brought to us. And uh, we've had over the past two years that we've been in Balnearia, since we started in 2020, we've taken 10 people through Discipleship One. Uh, this past February, we baptized seven, and now we have two more who are excited and ready to get baptized. And um, Brian, Letty, and we have one other person are the only people in our church right now who have any previous church growth, who have come to us from a previous salvation from a different church. All of the other people that are coming to church with us right now are all people who either got saved uh, in on a, with us on a Sunday morning or through uh, Bible study and through discipleship, because discipleship one, our very first lesson is about the security of your salvation. And a lot of them get to that point and they realize, well, I'm not so sure 
because, you know, I'm trusting in either the sacraments that I thought were going to save me or just in what my mom and dad told me or just, you know, I thought I was a good person. And so you start getting into those biblical conversations with people and they start realizing, hey, I want to know for sure where I'm going to go when I die. And it's a perfect opportunity for us to be able to explain that to them. So the people that we have come to church right now, really only three have any previous church background. All the rest of them are are new believers, are new sheep, and they're, they're kind of in that new process of learning and growing with the Lord. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I said that um, our, our friend, the first person that we met when we were down there, Omar, uh, he was about to send his son to rehab when we first got there. And so his son did three or four months in rehab, came back to his house, and you know we're in the middle of COVID lockdowns, we can't really do a whole lot, and we're trying to you know over the phone kind of uh, minister to Maxi, what's Omar's son's name, and he calls me up one night and he says, man, I've got a friend that went to me with rehab. He had to go back to his home in Santa Fe, which is a four-hour drive from where we live. And he is really struggling because he's the only person in his family that knows the Lord. And he is surrounded by all of the uh, typical urban culture that he was living in before that he tried to get away from by going to rehab. And now he's surrounded by all that and he has no direction. Is there any way you, he can just call you and talk to you? I said, sure, that's no problem, you know. What else do I got to do during COVID, right? <laughs> And so uh, we, I did a Zoom call with uh, Milton is his name. And so I told Milton, I said, listen, you know, really because of COVID and everything that's going on, the only thing that I can offer you is a Bible study that we call discipleship. We can do this over Zoom. We can meet once a week or, you know, as soon as you guys get, out, get caught up with the homework, you know, we can, we can meet to do these lessons. I said, but it's not just a Bible study that you check off of your list. You know, it's not just something you read through and it's a one and done in your and that's it. This is a mentorship program where we really dig into the things that are going on in your life and we apply biblical principles to those areas to help you grow spiritually and help you grow closer to the Lord. Now, if that's something you want to do, we can do that. If you just want to do a Bible study, you know, we can, you know, read through John together or something like that. But if you want to go through a mentorship program where biblical principles are applied to your life and you get to grow with the Lord, uh, if you want to do that, that's, this is a commitment. And, um, you know, so yeah, 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 I really want to do that. I want to be a part of that. And so we started, I think, in August with Milton going through Discipleship 1. And by the time November comes around and we're finishing up the last lesson, he says, Cody, I have got to get out of my city. None of my family members are, are going with the Lord. I, I came home. I went to my mom's house the other night, and she was selling drugs out of, her, out of her front living room. and said, I just cannot be around this anymore. This world is going to suck me back into it. I'm terrified of it. He had his, his wife and his two young children. They actually had committed to getting married during that time as well in Santa Fe. So they, they went before the justice of peace. Instead of living together, they didn't want to live in sin. And so they went and just got married right then and there. Had two little, three little girls at the time. And uh, so he said, I just need to, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get my family out of here. This place is going to kill me. And I said, well, Milton, you know, we're in the middle of COVID lockdowns. You're going to have to get permission to come out here. There, really, there are no jobs right now at this time. Housing is impossible to find. He said, but I'll tell you the same thing my pastor told me when we came to Balnearia. See if the Lord opens the door. And so, so, well, let me just come out there for a couple weeks and just see if I can find a job. So I said, come on, Milton. It was the middle of December. He actually came two weeks before Christmas, just an impossible time anywhere, much less during COVID, to really find a job. The next day, he had a job working in the supermarket. The next day. Like, not even, not even exaggerating. And uh, so I said, well, maybe the Lord's opened up a door for Milton to, to come over this way. Within three weeks later, like right around the very first week of January, he found a place to rent. And so his family moved, moved his family into a little bitty apartment in February, uh, which would be 2021. And um, so they start getting plugged into the church. His wife starts discipleship with my wife. They're growing in the Lord. They've had another baby since then. So now there's four girls. 
So we, uh, we, our children's ministry right now consists of uh, eight little girls and my son Luke. <laughs> we have a lot of little girls running around the church driving my son crazy, and uh, they're all younger than him, so they all kind of look up to him as a big brother, and, and so it's really kind of an interesting opportunity for them. But um, just kind of, I'll give you guys kind of a little makeup of what our church looks like. We have this, like I said, a group of about eight or nine uh, kids uh, from our families that come up, and then we jump up. We have three youth. We have Brian, uh, Michael, Edis, and my daughter, Haley are our only youth that we have in the church right now, um, and we want, that's our next goal is to start a youth ministry as, as, uh, you know, for them specifically as they start growing in the Lord, but we need workers for that, so that's our big prayer request. And then the next step up is really kind of middle-aged uh, families, um, anywhere between mid-30s up to maybe mid-50s at the most, kind of that range, uh, and then from there it makes a big jump to elderly grandma, grandpa, and um, I think our youngest of that group is maybe 68-ish, and there's about five of them. So uh, it's kind of little pockets that kind of jump through, um, which is kind of a, a neat range to minister to, that, uh, to, to all of that, that group. And, um, you know, we're really thankful that the Lord has, has taken us there, the things that he's doing. Uh, and honestly, um, I, I cannot say that we have done anything to start the church in Balnearia, Pastor. Because literally, we were told to sit down, to lock our doors, to not talk to people, the social distancing, you know, you're going to kill all these people if you go out and breathe on them. And so, you know, we were told you can't go out and do all the things that strategically we were told in the missionary books that you're supposed to do to be able to start a church. And the Lord, through all of that, has been able to start a church. And uh, it's just been such a huge blessing to see that nothing is impossible with the Lord. Uh, one Sunday morning during the middle of the COVID lockdowns, one person came to church. And I said, even if one person comes to church, we're going to do church just as if there were a thousand people there. And so we did the music just like we were going to do and, you know, preach my heart out, you know, as if there was a million people there. And afterwards, this, this little 25-year-old girl called us up on the phone and said, oh, I heard you guys are doing maybe this church thing. Can I come to that? Yes, of course you can come to that. So she shows up. We have the service. And afterwards, obviously, you know, me and my wife are sitting down and having a conversation with her because she's the only person that, that had come that morning. And um, we, st- we presented the gospel to her. She gets saved that Sunday morning, um, and she's the only person in her family that saved. And uh, as my wife was kind of scrolling through her Facebook uh, messages a couple weeks later through her Facebook pictures, just my wife, Millie, um, she sees these two little girls, these two little twin girls, and we they're so much with Stephanie, who was the, the girl that got saved I was just telling you about. Uh, we assumed kind of that those were her daughters, but Stephanie is 25 and her little sisters, twin sisters, are four years old. And she has, I think, six other brothers and sisters, a little bit older, a little bit younger than her. So uh, her mom, I guess, had an oops, <laughs> you know, situation where 25 years later, now they now have two twin girls. So they're, they're a part of that gaggle of girls that uh, terrorizes my son on Sunday mornings. But um, so we started ministering to their family. And one of the interesting things, kind of the cool thing about their family is, um, you know, her mom was really apprehensive about you know, this new cult that's coming through, and why is my daughter going there, and what are they teaching her, and, you know, we started, uh, we did a birthday party for the twins, and uh, the family members came out to that, and her mom started coming to more and more activities that we were doing um, post-COVID, really, when they started opening things up and trying to tell people, okay, you need to go outside, and you need to do exercise more, and you need to get sunshine, things that we probably should have been doing earlier on, but um, when we were able to do more of those activities, um, Stephanie's mom started coming to more of those activities we were doing outside the church. And um, so she came to one service maybe uh, two or three months before we came down. So 
if we came down in May, she came during, maybe it was uh, February or March. And um, since we've come up and we're, you know, we're Zoom calling into our churches on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, trying to keep up with everything that's going on, and we do the services, kind of a reverse Zoom. They come to church and they Zoom me in on the screen, and we'll preach that way. But uh, she's come to almost every service since we've been gone. So it's been a, a really uh, a blessing to see how the Lord is kind of slowly drawing her family in. She has a huge heart to see her family come to know the Lord, and she is intentional about inviting us to activities and things like that where we will get opportunities to meet her brothers and sisters and have opportunities maybe to share the gospel with them. So God is really doing some great things, and I could go story after story and person after person and just tell you about how God has brought people into our lives through a contact, through an uh, uh, through a situation that, you know, where we would have never had any contact with them. Maybe even if it wasn't for COVID, we probably would have never met this person. And uh, the Lord has brought those contacts into our lives where we have an opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, we had an intern come down with us um, in 2019 before all the COVID, and he was going to stay with us for a year. Dylan Hatfield is now the youth pastor at our sending church, at least on the Baptist Temple. And he came down for a year, and when he came down, uh, First Bible Baptist uh, sent down a lot of baseball equipment. You know, they're big into the baseball and and sports ministry, and so we had all this baseball equipment that was just sitting in our garage during COVID, and um, towards the, the second summer after COVID had come through, and they were finally telling people, you know, it's time to, you know, try and do these activities as long as it's, you know, as long as you still do the social distancing and things like that. We, did, we went out a couple afternoons and started doing baseball, and we had a lot of great contacts with that. I didn't think that that was going to be such a big thing because Argentina is a lot of soccer and, you know... Uh, volleyball, they're not really big on, on baseball and, and on uh, American football, what they call American football. Um, and so when we did that, we had a lot of good contacts come out of that. And so the Lord is just really allowing us to be a slowly, you know, get our name out there. Most everybody knows the, the white gringo that has come to, come to their town, even though they're all mostly white too, because just the makeup of our community is, is like that. But um, it has been very interesting to see how even though things didn't go the way we thought they were supposed to go or the way we thought they were supposed to be planned, how God still worked in such an incredible way to see the beginnings of this church. And so I just throw out some prayer requests to you guys. The, the biggest prayer request that we have right now is that you would pray for leaders, future leaders in the church. Pray for their spiritual growth, the ones that are coming now. We have, like I said, we have 10 people who have gone through discipleship one, and we have two ladies who are finishing up the last two lessons or last lesson that they're on and uh, you know they're kind of slacking on their homework and they're well they're busy you know they got you know their, their regular jobs and everything like that but all the other ones who have finished discipleship one are every time they see them have you finished yet have you finished yet because the discipleship two goes into more of a classroom style setting and so they would all be together and so we're waiting for those last two ladies to finish up their last lesson of discipleship one to kick in discipleship two with the other ones so they're hungry for the word and they're hungry to take those next steps and they're excited to see what the Lord's going to be doing in the future and what ministry looks like in Balnearia. But um, like I said, that's our biggest prayer request. I give you guys kind of a long term from where we're at right now, looking down, down the pike a couple of years down the road. The place that we're renting in now is not the original house that we, we moved to. Uh, in January, we, last, last week of January, we moved out of the house we're in, and we're actually in a much better location, even though it's only four or five blocks from where we were. We're right in the center of town. We're on a, a plot of land that's twice what we had before. The building is twice as big as we were before, so we have much more room where we're at now. We're right on the main plaza across from the municipal building, across the, the plaza from the Catholic cathedral that I told you about earlier. And so this, the, the building that we're in right now is really strategic, and we have a three-year contract uh, renting at that, the building that we're at right now. 
And my goal that I would like to see maybe three years down the, the road whenever this contract is up would either be to buy the property that we're on or to be able to move into something more permanent even if it's not there. So we still have three years. You know, that's still down the road. It's not something that, you know, is, is, um, is pressing down on our necks right now. But, you know, if you guys would pray for that because that's a, a big thing for ministry um, to be able to have a place that's yours where you don't owe anything on it and you can just throw everything else at ministry as far as, you know, your budget and the, the offerings and everything like that. So it may be kind of a long-term look from here three years down the road if you guys would pray about a more permanent building for us to be able to uh, continue ministering in the town that we're in. So those are our two biggest prayer requests right now. But um, I want to kind of uh, open it up. I know I've been kind of rambling a little bit. But I wanted to open up and see if there was any uh, questions, either about Argentina in general, about our city, about the church. Um, does anybody have any kind of a question? Um, Pastor said we could kind of do this informally if we wanted to. So does anybody have any kind of a question for us or even for my wife, maybe? She loves answering questions. So if you got a question for her, she would really enjoy that. Well, how do you spell the city that you're in? Okay, it's spelled B-A-L-N-E-A-R-I-A. -A -A. If you pronounce it three times fast, you're doing better than I am. <laughs> Balnearia. It's, 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 even for Spanish speakers, it's kind of an odd name. Balnearia. Any other questions? If the church, do you live in, and do church all in the same building? Is that, I was just trying to understand. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's kind of interesting, the building that we're in. I didn't explain this, but the building that we're in used to be the old DMV building. And before that, even before that, it was a, it was a house. And so the DMV bought this house, and they converted it into um, their, what they needed to, to be able to process all the paperwork. And so when they, they did some remodeling when they went in, and the living room, they converted it into this long reception area where they could, you know, have seats sitting around where they could, you know, have their desk and things like that. And so they really set it up perfectly, designed it perfectly for a church because it's this long area that you first walk into and then it tees straight off back. It really reminded me of an, an older chapel that had Sunday school rooms off of the main service building kind of in a T shape. And you go back, as you go back, there's this one long hallway and the first room on your right is the kitchen. It's a really nice sized kitchen. The next room on your left will be a bedroom. Then the next room will be a bathroom on your right, and immediately in front of that you have another bedroom, and there's two more bedrooms in the back. And then you go through that, the, the, the back door, and you're into our back patio. And uh, we actually, in the, in the back patio there, we have uh, seven fruit trees, and uh, we have two fig trees, we have uh, two orange trees, we have two lemon trees, uh, and two mandarin trees. So we have quite a, quite a number of fruit trees in our backyard, So and that gives us an opportunity, if we were to purchase this, the, that property, uh, gives us a great place to be able to expand in the future. So there's plenty of room there for activities and for things like that. So it is, in meters, I'd have to do some conversion in my head, but it is 25 meters by 50 meters long. So it'd be two plots of land for where we're at, um, and it's twice as long. So 25 by 50 is, is the, the area that, that we would have available to us. So it, uh, it really was almost designed for us as, as we were, you know, God just placed us right in that, in that sweet spot and the location that it's at, like I said, right on the main plaza and the way it's designed just really opened it up for services. We could move right in and we didn't have to do anything well, once we moved in. That's a good question. Anybody else?
Do you have anything you want to add to everything that's going on? She hates it when I do that to her. <laughs> well, why don't we open up our Bibles? If you guys think of a question later on, um, you know, please feel free after we get done. Um, we, we love questions, and we love being able to share with what's going on in Argentina. Um, so that's, that's exciting. I've been having a lot of fun here tonight, Pastor. Thank you guys for inviting us. This is exciting to be able to get a little more time to share with, with a group like this. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We don't want to neglect the Word of the Lord this evening. I could talk for hours and hours about the people that God has brought into our lives and the way he's working in their hearts and in their lives, but more important than any of that is the Word of God. So let's go to Luke chapter 1, and let's look at these first couple verses here, verses 1 through 4. It says, in Luke 1, 1 through 4, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which is from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightst know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us, Lord. We thank you that even in the middle of uh, government sticking their noses into ministry, Lord, even in the middle of lockdowns, even in the middle of uh, just difficult situations, Lord, you can continue to shine the light of the gospel even to the darkest reaches of the earth. Lord, we thank you that you have given us uh, a, a sequential order of the events that happen um, in your life, in the life of Jesus, Lord, so that we may know and have surety that the things that you have delivered unto us is the word of God, that we can bank our lives on the truth that you have delivered to us. And that truth can transform lives. It can change hearts. Lord, it can change families. It can give us hope, direction, and purpose for our lives, Lord. And we are so thankful that you have given us the word of God to be able to build the foundation of our lives upon. Lord, we ask that you would bless us this evening, Lord. We ask that you would bless the service in, in Balnearia, Lord, in Argentina, and the things that, uh, the prayer requests that are on their heart, Lord. We pray that you would be working in a mighty way in their lives, and that you would grant them spiritual growth so that they may turn into great servants for you and do great and mighty things in your name. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, and we ask that you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen. So as we look here at Luke chapter 1, we find that Luke sets out to give an account or a sequence or an order of the things that occurred in Christ's life from the moment he was born all the way through his death. And if we were to continue that into the book of Acts, we find that his second volume continues kind of into that missionary chronology of the, of the beginnings of, the, of church growth. And so he says to his friend Theophilus, it seemed good to me also. So there's other people who have written other accounts of what happened, but he gives us his account. And he says, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order... O most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightst know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. You know, whenever I read that certainty in order, I had the understanding from the very beginning of what's going on. I started thinking about that sequence and that order in the calendar of things that happened. And then I started, you know, kind of thinking back, not just the calendar of the New Testament, what happened in Christ's life and that uh, beginnings of the church, you know, and the things that are going to be happening and then I started going back, well, if we really think about God's calendar going back through the ages, 
you know, what are those events on God's calendar that have impacted history, you know? And we don't want to get into dates and, and times and things like that. Nobody wants to get bored with looking back at, you know, what happened on a specific date way back then. But just think about the events that you put on your calendar, you know, the obligations that you have at your work, at your school, those important dates that are coming up in the future, the, the vacation that you have coming up, uh, you know, the, all of the different scheduling that you have to do to make sure kids get where they're supposed to go and to make sure that family members uh, are taken care of and just all the things that you have to do to fit into your life that you feel like you need to accomplish. You know, if, that, if you were to look at our family calendar in Argentina, you might be surprised that, you know, we, we're not really so focused on... Uh, dates and times and things like that, Latin culture, you know, tends to kind of set their watches to the side and be more focused on relationships rather than, you know, the, that time building, not to say that that's wrong or that it's just different, you know, and uh, so our calendar in Argentina, once we get home after all the activities of the day and after the kids have gotten where they need to go, after we've done all our visiting, after we've done all the things, you know, we might get a, a knock on our door at 9 or 10 o'clock at night and somebody might just swing by to, to drink tea with us. In Argentina, they have a special uh, green tea that they call mate, and mate is a traditional tea that goes even all the way back to some of the native people who lived there before the colonization time, and they drink, originally they drink it in a gourd, but today, you know, they, they make a cup, and they put the tea leaves, the dry tea leaves inside the cup, and then they have a metal straw that has a filter on the bottom of it, and they stick that down inside the cup, and they'll pour hot water on it and leave it for a minute or two, and then they'll hand that to you, and then you'll have just your three or four sips worth of mate, and you'll hand it back to them, and they'll refill it, and it'll steep for a minute or two, and they'll hand it to the next person, and they'll go around. And when someone invites you to drink mate, because it is such a traditional process where you're only, it's not like they're handing you a cup of tea because you're thirsty, they're, they're inviting you to sit down and take the time to go through this process of just spending time to talk with them. They, they want to have a conversation with you. When someone invites you to mate, so we'll get a knock on our door, maybe at 9 o'clock at night, and it may be just, you know, I was passing through the area, you know, we, we just wanted to sit down and just see, you know, what do we used to say, just to chew the fat, you know, just kind of that, that kind of an idea. Just wanted to hang out for a few minutes. And then that few minutes may turn into this three-hour, you know, uh, counseling session with somebody and you really start getting into deep spiritual conversations and things like that. So maybe our calendar might look a little bit different from your calendar just because of cultural things and, uh, and things that the Lord places on our hearts as far as ministry. But, you know, no matter whether it's Argentina or here, if you were to take your calendar and put it next to God's calendar, would dates and times and schedules and everything that's on those two separate calendars line up? Now, what, if we were to get our hands on God's calendar tonight, if it would just magically fall out of heaven and land into our lap so that we could see those events on God's calendar tonight, what would we find? Would we find meeting with presidents and dignitaries and CEO of corporations and and all of these things that the Lord has to accomplish and maybe areas that he wants to visit and maybe somewhere he wants to go on vacation uh, in a couple of years and places that he wants to visit, would you find your name slotted in there anywhere to meet and spend time with the Lord? That he has your name on his calendar because he wants to spend time with you. Well, even if we were to go a little bit more specific from that, you know, not just God's general calendar throughout history, what about Jesus' calendar? You know, that's what Luke sets out to write here, basically, to set in order the events that happened from the very beginning so that you might have the certainty of the evidence that you will know that this is really what happened. So what was on Jesus' calendar whenever he was doing his earthly ministry, when he was walking, you know, around the earth? Did he wake up in the morning and lick his finger and go, well, the wind's blowing that way. Why don't we go over there? You know, was he just kind of that 
sometimes we see those in the movies, you know, where he's just kind of this free spirit that, that, that walks through the town and just maybe randomly has these chance meetings with people and, and runs into someone and, and was just kind of this carefree person that just a do-gooder to everyone that he runs into. Or maybe was he this hard-nosed company CEO who micromanaged every second of the disciples' time schedule so that he could squeeze every ounce of productivity out of Peter and James and John and make sure they were doing what they were supposed to do, and he was on top of them making sure that they didn't do anything wrong. I don't really know that either one of those descriptions is really accurate of what Jesus' ministry really was like, but I do know that if we were to get our hands on Jesus' hourly schedule, that there was something that was penciled in for every hour of his day, he was focused on the will of God. You know, if we were to get his schedule, we might see there at 8 a.m., it's time to fulfill God's will. That's what he's going to be focused on. At 9 a.m., it was time to carry out God's will. At 10 a.m., it was time to complete God's will. At 11 a.m., I'm going to stay in God's will. At 12 a.m., we're going to get some lunch, and then we're going to accomplish God's will. You know, if we were to look at his calendar, what he was about, his ministry, was about fulfilling God's will. That's what his focus was on as he intentionally met people. Now, as we don't really have time to go through it, but if we were to study through the Gospels and the meetings that Jesus had with people, he would say, he would read in the Scriptures that he must needs go through Samaria in John chapter 4. Like, he intentionally decided, that's the, era, that's the city that I need to go through. Now, there was no, the Jewish people didn't really go through Samaria because they didn't really like the Samaritans. They would travel from Jerusalem 12 to 20 miles out of their way, cross the River Jordan, travel north to get up to Galilee just to avoid having to go a straight path north through Samaria. But Jesus decided, despite all that cultural difference, he must needs go through Samaria. Right here in Luke, we find uh, one day Jesus is walking towards the city of Jericho. And he is coming from where he's at, moving towards Jerusalem because he set his face steadfastly to be in Jerusalem. He knew that that was on his calendar just a few months from, from whenever he went through Jer Jericho. And he is moving because on a specific date on God's calendar, he knows he has a meeting with a hill right outside of the city of Jerusalem. And as he knows that's where he's going, he could have chosen any city out there that he, he could have gone through anywhere. He had friends all over the place. He had people that could minister him all over the place, people that could have encouraged him, but he chose to go through Jericho. And right outside the city of Jericho, this blind man is there and he's calling out. And when he hears that it's Jesus, he calls out even louder. And the people that are trying to hush him and say, no, it's a master, don't bother him. You know, he doesn't have time for you. And he calls out even louder. And Jesus heals that man right there on the way to Jericho. But that wasn't, as he's going up to Jericho, you know, that wasn't his only stop. That wasn't his only reason why he gets there. As he goes up into the city, we read in Luke chapter 19, he gets up under a tree and he looks up and out of all the multitude that's there, of all the people that are there, he looks up and he calls out one person's name. You know, as you look at God's calendar, God knows us, each and every one of us by name. And Jesus, in the middle of that multitude, the city of Jericho just broke out of their houses and they're, they're just surrounding Jesus and there's this press all around him. He could have called out anyone's name in that multitude, in that crowd. But he went specifically under that tree. It was on his schedule, on his calendar, to meet at that moment with this little bitty politician, this tax collector, who was curious about the man that was coming through his town and climbed up in this tree to get a better view of who Jesus was. And he says, Zacchaeus, time to get down out of the tree because I 
need to go to your house today. That was on his calendar. That was where Jesus specifically meant to be at that moment in time. You know, you guys have seen the Disney movies where they show the calendar on the, or any kind of uh, cartoon movie or, or, or cartoon, Saturday morning cartoons, but they show the calendar on TV and as the pages start flipping through, the, you, know, you get through a year and then all of a sudden you get to that one day on the calendar where it's this big giant red circle on that day, the day that you're anticipating that, that you get to. And if we went all the way back in scripture to Genesis chapter three, God marks on his calendar this point in the future where he's going to fulfill the promise that he made to Adam and Eve, that one day from their seed would come someone who would accomplish what they so desired, that would right the wrong that was created in Genesis chapter three, that would redeem them from the situation that they found themselves in when they were disobedient to God in Genesis chapter three. And God marked on his calendar in the future. And one day that, as that calendar, as that, those dates came closer, this priest right here in Luke chapter 1 is not supposed to be in the temple, but he's, he ends up being in the temple to preach one Sunday morning. His name is drawn out of a hat of maybe a thousand other priests, and the 20,000 priests that, were, that could have been chosen to be in that group out of all the nation of Israel, and his name gets drawn out of the hat, and he's just what so happens to be in the temple. His name was Zechariah. He was there ministering to the Lord. It was probably the greatest privilege of his life that day that he got to minister before God in the temple because he wasn't ever even supposed to be there. Zechariah, if you'll read there in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And they were both righteous, him and his wife Elizabeth, before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, and they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And that fact that they had gone through their whole life, their whole ministry, and God had not blessed them with a child, and the culture they lived in could have been considered a curse. And how are they going to put this priest, why would the Lord give this priest an opportunity to be in the temple that morning to minister to the Lord before all the people of the nation of Israel? And where do we find ourselves on God's calendar right here in Luke chapter 1? We find ourselves after 400 years of silence. When God closes the book at the end of Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, he's quiet for 400 years. For 400 years, the people of Israel don't know if their sacrifices are acceptable before God because he doesn't say anything when they bring those sacrifices before the, before the Lord. For 400 years, the only thing they have is the opinion of the priest because the Lord is not speaking his message to the people. For 400 years, God is silent. And when he chooses to send his messenger to speak, he speaks to the priest who's not supposed to be there, who culturally is probably more of an outcast and kind of set to the side because God hasn't blessed him in the way everybody else thinks that he should be blessed. But God calls him out, places him there on that date, on that, with a specific purpose. And the angel says, Zechariah, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter how old you are. God has chosen you to bring his messenger before the Messiah. And we know that Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a precursor to Jesus Christ. And that day, as those pages are flipping through the calendar where Jesus will be born in that manger, also set aside from the world in a place where his parents weren't even supposed to be on that evening, but God moved things throughout history and throughout time to make sure that Christ was born to fulfill the scriptures in the place where he was supposed to be and the events that were supposed to happen on God's calendar and on God's timing. 
And as that calendar flips through and as the ages start going by, the, the times start going by, and that date that's circled in red that gets so close, that date anticipated all the way back there to Genesis chapter 3, we find that Jesus steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. And he walked purposefully to be on time to his meeting throughout the ages with your sin and my sin. And right when it was supposed to happen on God's calendar, when he had it marked, the date and the time, he stretched out his arms and he died for the sins of all humanity. And God had been planning this since before the foundation of the world that he would redeem his creation that had fallen from him, that had fallen into sin, who deserved to be in hell and separated him from, for forever because of the things that we had done and the sins that we had committed. We deserve that. And even though we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you guys know that next date on God's calendar, three days later, when in the power of God, he rips through that open tomb, defeating death, defeating the penalty of sin for all time and eternity for anyone who would place their faith and their trust in what he had done on the cross and in the power of his resurrection three days later. Our sin debt was paid in full. Those events on God's calendar did not happen by chance. Those events were pre-planned. God had been working and moving genealogies and moving times and moving people into positions to where Jesus could be born at the specific time he was supposed to be born, go through the ministries that he was supposed to be going through. Jesus purposefully went to different cities to minister to the hearts of different people. As you find him moving through, you would find that sometimes he would be in Jerusalem, and then the next day, he was 20 miles away in a different area, in a different place, because he had a meeting and an appointment on his schedule to minister to the life of somebody. And we find that time and time again throughout Scripture, and what the Lord was doing, the Lord was speaking to his people. The Lord spoke to them in that time period, but the Lord speaks to us today. God sends messengers to speak to people. You know, that is the heart of missions. That's really what missions is all about, sending out a messenger from here to go talk to the people over there. You know, if we really boiled it down to the most basic of all definitions, as soon as you get saved and you're a born-again believer in Christ, God turns you into a missionary. That's what he wanted to do with his disciples. He turned them into fishers of men, right? Isn't that what he promised to make out of them? He promised to make out of them basically a messenger for him. Now, it's not our responsibility to go to Argentina and make sure a million people get saved because I can't save anybody. And I tell them this all the time whenever in, in Argentina at our church. You know, I never died on the cross for any of your sins. The Pope never died on the cross for any of your sins. Muhammad, Hare Krishna, Buddha, there is no religious leader out there today who you can go and visit his bones in a dirty grave somewhere who ever died on the cross to pay for your sins. The only one who makes that claim is Jesus Christ. And the only one whose body we can't find today, where there's an empty tomb we can go and see that he's not there anymore, is Jesus Christ. And so if you want that free gift of eternal life after you die, you want to be in heaven with him, you've got to go to the only one who ever did anything to make it to where you could be with God forever and all eternity. You have to go through him. 
He's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And then as soon as you do, as soon as you place your trust in Him to save you from your sins, I tell our people in Argentina all the time, it's like throwing yourself out of a plane with a backpack full of camping equipment. You know, if you're trusting in yourself because you're a good person, because you do all the right things, because you've never really killed anybody, you've never robbed a bank. Yeah, I may have told a little lie once once and again, but, you know, I'm basically a good person. Whenever I get to heaven, God's going to put my good things on this side and my bad things on this side, and surely I've done more good things than bad, so, you know, God's going to let me in whenever I get there. It doesn't work that way because all of our righteousness is like filthy rags to him. That one lie that we've done is enough for God to reject us so that we don't get into heaven, because in heaven, the only thing that gets in are things that are perfect. He has created a perfect place, because he's good. And if he's good, and he's created a perfect place, and he lets in my imperfection, what have I done to his perfect place? So why would he let in anything that's imperfect get into heaven? So immediately, we realize that I'm throwing myself out of this this plane, and all the things that I'm trusting that are going to hold me up and make sure that I don't smack against the ground whenever I get to the bottom, whenever I pull that cord, the only thing coming out of my parachute is camping equipment because I'm trusting. I may have a lot of faith and I may be really sincere that that bag, the things that are in that bag were going to help me and save me. But whenever it comes down to the reality of it, I end up with a painful destination whenever I get to the ground, right? But if I launch myself out of that plane with a parachute on my back, and I, and I say, okay, now I'm putting my faith and my trust in this parachute to, to, to make sure that I'm going to get safe to the ground. And I go and I'm falling and I'm falling. And I haven't pulled the cord yet. I haven't pulled the parachute yet. I'm not really relying on and trusting in the parachute that I said I pulled on. But the moment that I know that I place my faith and, the trust, and my trust in that parachute is whenever I pull that cord. And then I'm just resting completely and totally in the parachute's ability to make sure that I get to the ground safely. And if you're saved tonight, it's because you have placed in the same manner your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, in his blood on the cross, and in the power of his resurrection to save you from your sins. You've decided, I'm not going to trust my righteousness. I'm going to trust his righteousness. I'm not going to trust my goodness. I'm going to trust his perfection. I'm not going to trust in what any other religious institution out there is going to say. I'm going to trust in his word. And if you'll do that tonight, he promises that he will give you eternal life. Now, I always tell our people in Argentina, the Bible is really self-explanatory. It, it just spits it out just like it is. You don't have to twist it up. You don't have to try and explain it away. The Bible just plainly says what it means. So if he says he's going to give you eternal life, you think that might be limited to just maybe a few years or an hour or a day? How long is eternal life? It's eternal. And it's life. It's living with him forever in that perfect place in heaven. God wants to use you as his messenger to speak that life, to speak that message to someone else, to explain to them that they no longer have to trust in all that camping equipment. They've got a parachute. It's there. It's available. All they have to do is put it on and pull that cord and trust in Christ to save them for their sins. That's what Luke is doing here in chapter one. That's what he's telling his buddy Theophilus. He's telling him, I want you to be 100% sure. I'm going to explain to you all the vectors, and I'm going to explain to you why the canvas of the parachute has this the tensile strength that it has and why we use the paracord that we use because it can support this amount of weight and why we strap ourselves in and the, the weight that the buckle can withstand. And I can go through all of the evidence of why the parachute is going to hold you up. 
But in the end, if you don't put it on, all of that evidence has done you no good because you haven't trusted fully in that parachute to make sure you get down to the ground. Luke here in verse 3 says to his friend uh, that he wanted him to have perfect understanding. Luke had perfect understanding of the events that had gone through. He wants to give you his word accurately so that you're able to explain that to other people. If you would, just real quickly flip forward in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. These last 10 minutes that we have, I just want to talk about God's word, about the importance of what we have in our hands and this message that God has given us to others. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 tells us, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount and have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. This event that Peter is telling us about here, you guys know on God's calendar, the baptism of Jesus, whenever he went to John and John was like, no, I should be baptized of you. And Jesus said, well, this is part of my ministry. This is something that you need to do. This is, this is right. And so John concedes and Jesus goes down into the water and as he comes back up, the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and we hear this audible voice from heaven this is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? Imagine you're there on that day, Pastor. You're there and you hear the audible voice of God from heaven pointing out his son. That's the one you should hear. That's the one you should follow. That's the one I'm well pleased in. It's not all these other voices that you hear out there. This is my son. Imagine you're there on that day. Imagine what that does to your heart to hear an audible voice from heaven. You know, I think all of us at some point have through our spiritual journey as we're going through the spiritual growth in our lives have thought, man, if I could just hear the voice of God, maybe I would know some, have some direction. Maybe if I could just hear the voice of God, I could know what to do. If I could just hear the voice of God, maybe I would put my faith and my trust in Jesus and save me from my sins. But Peter, being one of the eyewitnesses who not only once but twice heard an audible voice from heaven speaking to him, and to the people that were present with him at those specific times, looks later on through his ministry and tells us in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now what could be more sure than an audible voice from heaven telling us that's him, that's my son, that's the one in whom I'm well pleased. What could be that more sure word of prophecy? What Peter is talking about is the, what we have in our hands today. He's talking about the Word of God. Now, the Word of God was not complete when Peter wrote this, but a few chapters later, he's going to tell us about the writings of another disciple named Paul. And he says some of those teachings of Paul, they're, they're difficult to understand, but he describes them as Scripture. Right? And so God is laying out for them through these letters, through the New Testament, the closed canon of Scripture, and Peter is handing it down to us from his hands to ours 
through the bloody hands of martyrs who have protected it and who have translated it and who have rewritten it and have gotten it out to us to where today we have maybe several copies of these and a few digital copies and some in our car and some in our house and we've got, we have more access to the word of God today than any other people in any other time throughout history. And Peter looks at us and says, but we now have a more sure word of prophecy. Why would the written word of God be a more sure word of prophecy than as if we could hear a voice from heaven? Why is that more sure than that audible voice from heaven? Because if we heard that voice, maybe at one point or twice in the whole Christian walk that we have as we walk through the Lord, maybe 30 or 40 or 50 years until it's our time to go back to be with him. And that's the only thing that we have is that one time when we heard the audible voice of God. Imagine how we would manipulate that. Imagine how we would maybe twist that into what we wanted to say. Imagine what, if I told you and said, I've heard the voice of God and he's telling me what you need to do. Imagine what you would think of me. Yeah, right. You're, if you're hearing voices, man, I've got a, here's a phone number of somebody who can give you some counseling. Maybe you need to go over there and talk to him, right? Imagine how that would be received. And so Peter says, we have the word of God that we can place into someone's hand, that they can read it on their own. It can impact their spiritual growth. It can't be manipulated or twisted. People are going to try, and they try all the time. But if we go back and understand the plain reading of God's word and we use his word to translate and to interpret his word, then we don't have to worry about, you know, all of those things that skew us and that take us and that lead us astray. But we have a more sure word of prophecy in our hands so that we're not deceived, so that we know the path that we're supposed to go, to give us that direction, that lamp unto our feet and that light unto our path, that direction that we need. We have his word to hide in our heart that we might not sin against him, to know him, to know who he is, And just like Zechariah, that day on that specific appointed time, God broke through those 400 years of silence and spoke to him. When you open God's word, the Lord wants to speak to you. The God of all creation wants to speak to you. He wants to talk to you. It's an incredible thing. And an even more sure thing than an audible voice from heaven. And we have an eyewitness account that has written down the evidence of the things that have gone through, the things that happened, that God placed on his calendar and has delivered that to us for our growth and for our understanding and for our relationship with him. Now, it amazes me that no matter what part of the world you're in, we're bombarded by voices that say they have a better understanding of God's word that say that you need to do this or say that you need to go there, you know, whether there be a podcast or there'll be, you know, a, a, a sermon online or somebody that suddenly won't be as good as what's heard on Sunday morning or just won't be as good as what I'm getting here. And instead of going back to what God's word and rightly dividing out the word of truth and going back and looking over the evidence of what's going on, we'll, we'll get distracted and we'll go after that, you know? That's not what he's given us here. He's giving us his word to build our life on the foundation of biblical principles so that we can get our lives lined up with God's calendar and follow him and be able to serve him and do great and mighty things for him. You know, if your Bible could send you out a job application today, it says, okay, I'm sending you out this application. I'm applying for a job in your life. It might say, I'm sending in my application for the job of tutor, 
teacher, and advisor to you and your family. I will never take a vacation. I will be up in the morning as early as anyone in the household, and I will stay up as late as you wish. I will help solve any problems you might have. I will answer any of your own questions on the subjects that range from how did we get here to where are we headed. I will help settle disputes and differences of opinion. I will give you information that will help you with your job, your family, your finances, your future, and any and all of your other interests. I will give you principles to live by so that you might find success and purpose in life. In short, I, I will give you the knowledge that will ensure the continued well-being of you and your family. I am your manual for all things that pertain to life and godliness. Would the Bible get the job? Now, the manual for how we should live our lives and, and for how we should know the Lord has been given to us. And this very manual tells us in 2 Timothy 2.2 that we should teach these things to faithful men who can teach these things to other faithful men. And we have the principle of discipleship there. He's given us not just the message of the gospel, of salvation for anyone who will place their faith and trust in Christ Jesus and Him alone to save us from our sins and give us that eternal life. But He's given us also His Word to take and teach it to a faithful man who is able to take and teach it to a faithful man and is able to take and teach it to a faithful man. Just like Luke sat down to write in order all of those things that were set forth from the beginning so that they could give to his friend the evidence of why he should believe what he should believe. That should be our job today too. To take what we have, what we've been given from God's word and pass that on to someone else. It's like the old song. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard the old hymn, pass it on. That's what he wants us to do. Just like a flame gets a little fire going, that little spark that you place that seed into someone's life and as you start adding love, we were just in youth camp not two and a half weeks ago and little boy gets saved in youth camp. I say little boy, 14-year-old boy. And about Wednesday night, you know, you're, you're Wednesday night and you're going through, you know, uh, just the things that they need to, to get in their life, to get God's word in their life, because whenever they go back home, it, you're not going to be surrounded by all of your friends. You know, you're not going to be surrounded by this godly counsel. You're not going to be uh, hearing a message on, uh, from, from the Bible you know, every night like you're hearing here. You're going to go back home, and you're going to get thrown back into the lion's den. And so after he hears this message, and you know, God's working on his heart, he goes up to one of our counselors, one of our leaders, and he says, I just got saved this week. I'm the only person in my family that that I know of that, that's, a, that's a believer, that's a Christian, other than his aunts and uncles, you know, talking about his immediate family. He says, what do I do when I go back home? How do I keep this going when I go back home? And just that night, we had had a, like a, a bonfire before our, before our service. And our leader took him outside and said, you see that bonfire that we had over there? How do we build that bonfire? Well, you know, they came out and they put some paper in there and they lit, it, lit this fire. So, well, this week, we're lighting that fire in your life. But we left that fire going out there. And after the service, you know, the, the, the embers had died down and there were just a couple logs there. And he says, what happened to it? Well, there's, there's nothing left of it. Yeah, because it got consumed. The logs that were there have got consumed. They did their job. They fed that fire for a time. But what would we have to do now if we want to keep that fire going? Well, we'd have to go get more logs. And he said, whenever you go home, that's what you have to do. If you don't want the fire of this week of, the, of camp and the fire of that of this experience of coming to know Christ and, and the excitement of what it feels like to know that you have the eternal security that you're going to heaven when you die, you've got to figure out what logs am I going to place on that fire in my life? Am I going to go home and am I going to get in God's word? Am I going to bow my knees before him in prayer? 
Am I going to surround myself with godly friendships, with a good biblical church that's going to grow me in Christ? And I think that same challenge applies to us here in Harrisonville. It applies to our believers in Argentina, anywhere we go in the world. If we want to continue to grow in Christ, to grow our faith in him, we've got to take the things that have been written down in order that God has placed on his calendar for each and every single one of us and line our calendar up with God's calendar and add those logs to the fire so that we're able to be that beacon of light, that city on a hill, that light in a dark place that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us, Lord. We thank you that your word speaks to us. We have a more sure word of prophecy than as if we had heard your audible voice from heaven, Lord, we hear you speak to our hearts through the written word of God, and it's so important that we get it not just from the shelves of our bookshelf at home, but that we get it into our hands and our hearts and our minds, Lord, so that we might know you, so that we might humble ourselves before you, that we might draw near to you, and you promise that you will draw near to us. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in Argentina. We thank you for the opportunities that you've given us to go and be representatives here of Heartland there in Argentina. Lord, and we ask that you would continue to do great and mighty things there in Balnearia, not just there, but, Lord, here at home, Lord, uh, working in, throughout this whole Kansas City area, Lord, getting the gospel out to people, seeing them come to Christ, seeing them get plugged into discipleship, seeing them get plugged into a ministry where they're serving you, where they're growing, where they're teaching someone else and giving the things they know to another faithful man so that this process of spiritual growth and development can be repeated for your honor and for your glory throughout the ages, Lord, until you come back again. We ask that you would give us the privilege of just being a part of everything that you're doing all over the world to get your message out. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I will be brief, but I do want to just kind of touch on a couple things here. Thank you. Uh, Cody, for just uh, sharing your heart, your ministry, and sharing uh, the word with us and encouraging us to continue to put those logs on. I was thinking about Isaiah, right? Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And we don't want to be like Israel and get stiff neck and fall backward, right, and be busted. So we got to keep burning that, that uh, fire and keep uh, fulfilling the word. Hey, just a couple things to remember as we wrap up, and we're just a little bit over, so I won't tarry, but I do want to just remind you that uh, we have a missionary prayer team for the walkers. I don't know. Did you? I think you may have taken the uh, prayer list. But anyway, Ray Blowers is the prayer team leader for that. He's up in the booth. If you're interested in praying for the, uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, you can get on, you can look in the bulletin or on the prayer list. There's a list of all the prayer teams. And uh, we have, t we have um, times each month, each month when we come together and pray. Uh, so there's one for the, the DR, for Dominican Republic, for Lee Carter. Brian Barry in Ireland. Uh, we have one for the Clarks in London. Um, <clears throat> Joe and Amy Hendricksman in Oaxaca. Uh, Kalen Brooke Horvath in Hungary. Uh, Doug and Camilla Howie in Romania. Uh, we have a meeting coming up like in two weeks. Uh, we have uh, one for the Jalowicz in uh, Zambia. Um, Brad Nanny in Clinton. And uh, Doug and Bethany uh, Pearson who serve in Asia. As, and, of course, the walkers who serve in Argentina. So that's a list of our prayer teams. Team is an acronym for Together Everyone Advances Missions. So that's what uh, prayer teams are all about. And by God's grace, maybe someday we can take a trip to Argentina. That would be so cool. We don't want to overwhelm them in their baby church plant, but we could go and encourage you in some way, I'm sure, if, if the Lord would open the door for that. 
And, and practically speaking, um, if you want to get involved in some things here in missions at, at HBF, where we base our missions on Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus, of course, tells the disciples to go you therefore. Uh, and, well, that's Matthew 28. That's the Great Commission. In Acts 1, 8, uh, he told them to wait in Jerusalem and until the Spirit of God uh, you know, came on, and, on Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, but he told him there, he said, You shall be witnesses uh, <coughs> witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. So our strategy for missions is to support it supernaturally, uh, strategically, and simultaneously, right? And so we, our prayer teams um, are part of that, are the need to, to you know engage in missions supernaturally. Uh, a couple times, uh, Cody earlier mentioned the strategic nature of what he was doing. And sometimes God's ways aren't our ways. Oftentimes God's ways aren't our ways. But even though he's in a small town in that region, it's exactly where God wants him. And so it's strategic. And we're to do that simultaneously, right? So it's not like someday we go over there and then we're going to work our way from Cass County and then we're going to go to the greater metro. Then we're going to go to, you know, this region of the United States and then we're going to go to Mexico and Canada and then we're going to go to the uttermost. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's, uh, he says in Acts 1-8, uh, when he says both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, he meant all at once. And that's exactly what happened in the first century. Revival broke out, and, and the Spirit of God was moving simultaneously. That's why everybody was gathered uh, at Pentecost from around the, the Roman world had gathered, because God was wanting to sp- spread the gospel all at one time. So uh, we have trips all the time and activity, and one of the things you can do to be engaged in that is uh, this coming Monday on 4th of July, uh, we'll be at the park, right, just handing out flags, sharing the gospel, handing out some fireworks, giving out water, um, and just being a witness and encouraging our neighbors here in Cass County at that event. So everybody's welcome and wanted. Um, all you got to do is be able to fog a mirror, and if you can do that, you can show up and be a part of what God's doing. I mean, it's that simple. You can on-ramp real easy. Also, uh, there's still some tickets left. We need to sell them out uh, so we're not left holding the financial bag, but we've got about, I think, 10 or 11, 12 tickets left for the Faith and Family Day at the K at uh, 1 o'clock, right? Ray's going to be in the parking lot grilling stuff up. 11 o'clock, okay. Uh, oh, one fifteen. I got my times off. So 11, you'll be in the parking lot, and uh, I'll be w- there with him, and uh, we'll be, I'll at least be eating some beef or something, and uh, or some brats or something. So we'll be having a good time in the parking lot, then we'll see the game. And uh, I thought the game was at 3 o'clock, so we'll have to, are you sure? Check on that. But at any rate, at the end of that, of course, Scott Dawson's going to preach the gospel. Uh, David Crowder's going to play some music, and it'll be a good time. So the best part of I prom- I hate to say this, the best part of that thing is going to be the parking lot and the gospel at the end because the Royals haven't been doing very good. I was praying. I was like, Lord, can you do something with the Royals again? It'll have to be a miracle. And sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says, you know, not right now. And sometimes God says no. So I think right now he's saying no. <laughs> so, uh, but by God's grace, we can still invite folks out, have a good time. And uh, it's such, again, an easy on-ramp to get the gospel where it needs to go right here. So what's that? 310 first. Are you still going to be there at 11? Okay, probably, yeah, noon o'clock. Yeah, so noon to 1. All right, but we'll be at the parking lot, and uh, there'll be food. Then we'll do that. So if you still want to get in on that, we got cheap tickets um, I don't think we have many left in the good section that's shaded. I think so the rest are nosebleeders. We got about 10 uh, nosebleed, 10 buck tickets. I mean, hey, that's that's a cheap. And if you want to get a free ticket, you can sign up to be what they call an encourager, which is somebody 
who leads people to Christ, which is super easy at that event. And uh, Scott Dawson is a good evangelist. He does preach the gospel, and people do respond. Every year, uh, I've worked as an encourager, and we've seen salvations. We've seen real people make professions. We've had a person baptized right here at Heartland, right across the street. Uh, the first year they came to town, right in that bapti- right across the street in the pond, we baptized that young man uh, that got saved at that event. So I do know there's fruit from it, and, uh, and so I'm all about it. Plus, I'm excited about Dayton Moore uh, being one of the few uh, they, they don't do this all over the MLB. It's really Kansas City and I think maybe somewhere else, one other, one other stadium because Dayton Moore is committed, uh, you know, to supporting family values but also the gospel. He is a born-again Christian, so I appreciate that about him. And, uh, and so it's really a unique opportunity that Kansas City has in general to be a part of that. So, all right, so I wanted to hit all that as we're talking about missions and getting the gospel where it needs to go on time, praying strategically. Uh, supernaturally, uh, and now are also praying. We uh, the w- three ways we support missions. If you want to know about that, uh, we support them prayerfully, um, financially, and when we can physically, we get on the field with them and engage. So that's what those missions trips I was talking about earlier are all about. And so if you want to get involved on that in any of that, we're here to get you going, connect you, and direct you. All right, so let's go ahead and. Um, I know we're running short on time, but if you guys could come up here, I want to pray over you and uh, as we dismiss, and we'll get out of here tonight. So uh, if you all want to stand with me, if you're comfortable, come on up here. Let's just pray over uh, Cody and Millie, and uh, thank God for bringing them, and pray as they continue to go. They leave on the 13th uh, of uh, July, so they don't have much time left. And, uh, and so, uh, Ray, do you, are you stuck up there? Come on down, because you're the prayer team leader, bro. Come on. Well, actually, Cody's the prayer team leader, but you're the one that represents. So, 